Isaiah. We know very few details about the life of Isaiah, the greatest of the prophets, of the writing prophets, to arise in the kingdom of Judah, and indeed the greatest of all the prophets of Old Testament history. What we do know is gathered from his own discourses. To distinguish him from other men of the same name, he was called Isaiah the son of Amos, later also Isaiah the prophet. According to Jewish tradition, he was of royal stock. It's certain that he belonged to the tribe of Judah and that his home was in Jerusalem. All his discourses are addressed to the people or to certain classes and individuals or to the women of Jerusalem. He was married and had two sons. As he stood on terms of intimacy with the highest officials, and even with the royal family itself, he evidently belonged to the Hebrew aristocracy. The high degree of rhetorical skill displayed in his speeches implies a long course of literary education and training. Like many other prophets, he gathered around him a circle of friends and disciples who shared his views and were initiated into his plans. In the sixth chapter of his book, Isaiah describes the event which marked the crisis in his life, his call to the prophetical office. In the year that King Isaiah died, that is 737 BC, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and elevated, and his train filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. The one had six wings, and the other had six wings. With two they covered his face, and with two they covered his feet, and with two they flew. And they cried one to another and said, Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, all the earth is full of his glory. And the lintels of the doors were moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, because I have held my peace, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people that have unclean lips. And I have seen with my eyes the King of the Lord of hosts. And one of the seraphim flew to me, and in his hand was a live coal, which he had taken with, his, with the tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this hath touched thy lips, and thy iniquities shall be taken away, and thy sin shall be cleansed. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and whom shall go for us? And I said, Lo, I am, here I am, send me. And he said, Go, and thou shalt say to this people, Hearing, hear, and understand not, and see the vision, and know it not. Blind the heart of this people, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and be converted, and I heal them. And I said, How long, O Lord? And he said, until the cities be wasted without inhabitants, and the houses without man, and the land shall be left desolate, and the Lord shall remove men far away, and she shall be multiplied that was left in the midst of the earth, and there shall be still a tithing therein, and she shall turn, and shall be made as sure as a turpentine tree, and as an oak that spreadeth its branches. That which shall stand therein shall be called a holy seed. Holy, 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 the Lord God of hosts, 
These sublime words of praise, so familiar to us today, are the keynotes of the prophet's life and work. From the time of the majestic inaugural vision, his whole life is devoted to the Lord God. The Lord called him, and henceforth Isaiah is his servant. There is only one law in the world, world for him, which is the will of God. God is the Holy One, the Almighty, whose glory fills heaven and earth, who made the world according to his plan and governs and directs it according to his will. He works all things, and even when his works appear strange and unintelligible to men, this also is come forth from the Lord of hosts, to make his counsel wonderful and magnify justice. The final end of all earthly happenings is the glory of this thrice holy God. All the earth is full of his glory. A truly grandiose philosophy of history. It was about four years after the vision in the temple. King Achaz was standing outside the walls of Jerusalem inspecting the fortifications and the water supply of the city. Razan the king of Syria and Pekah the king of Israel were encamped in Ephraim, ready to march against the city. The heart of Achaz was moved, and the heart of his people, as the trees of the woods are moved with the wind. Curius was hastily dispatched to the Assyrian capital to seek aid from the powerful Tigliath-Pelester IV. They carried presents of gold and silver, and a letter which Achaz wrote, I am thy servant and thy son. Come up and save me out of the hand of the king of Syria and out of the hand of the king of Israel who are risen up together against me. King Achaz knew that, what, that he was doing wrong in seeking an alliance with a pagan nation, but his fears had gotten the better of him, and his trust in God was too weak to overcome them. Just as he was about to return to the city from the inspection of the fortifications, Isaiah met him. God had sent him to exhort the king to take courage and to promise him that if he relied on God, the enemy would fail in their designs. Selah, be quiet, fear not, and let not thy heart to be afraid of the two tails of these firebrands, smoking with the wrath of the fury of Raisin, king of Syria, and of the son of Romelia, which was Fati, because Syria hath taken counsel against thee, saying, Let us go up to Judah, and rouse it up, and draw it away from us. Therefore, thus saith the Lord God, It shall not stand, and this shall not be, but the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Raven. And within threescore and five years Ephraim shall cease to be a people. And the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria the son of Romelia. If you will not believe, you shall not continue. Ephraim, of course, means the kingdom of Israel. The king is deeply moved, but hesitates. He cannot muster up enough courage and faith to trust in God's word. Then the prophet offers him a sign. Ask thee a sign of the Lord thy God, either unto the depth of hell or unto the height above. But Achaz said, I will not ask, and I will not tempt the Lord. In holy anger at such hypocrisy, Isaiah replies, Hear ye therefore, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to be grievous to men, that you are grievous also to my God? Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. 
Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. He shall eat butter, that's to say thick milk, the food of the poor, and honey. Then he shall know to refuse the evil and to choose the good. For before the child knows to refuse the evil and to choose the good, the land which thou abhorrest shall be forsaken of the face of her two kings. The prophet then drew a vivid picture of devastation at the hands of Syria, which showed that the appeal to Tiglath-Pileser would finally bring destruction upon Judah as well as upon Israel and Damascus. After having thus made the king responsible for all the evils that were to come upon this nation, the prophet retired from the public stage. I will wait for the Lord, he said, who hath hid his face from the house of Jacob, and I will look for him. Years later, the northern kingdom of Israel had fallen. The Assyrian conqueror had carried away the inhabitants into captivity in Mesopotamia. And it's now about the year 704. Ezekias is reigning over Judah. Ambassadors have come to Jerusalem from Egypt with presents and fine words to persuade him to break with the Assyrian king and to join the coalition against him. Merodach Baladan of Babylonia has already been won over and the Philistines are to be approached. A concentrated attack is to be launched against Assyria. All Jerusalem seems to favour the alliance. Only one man is opposed to it, that is Isaiah. His faith in the power and the will of God to save his nation is supreme in every crisis and an appeal to an outside nation seems to him nothing less than an insult to God. Discarding his outer garment and donning that of a captive of war, he walked the streets of the city barefooted as a sign, so that so, the, so shall the king of the Assyrians lead away the prisoners of Egypt. To the king and his counsellors he cried out, Woe to Ariel, woe to Ariel, the city that David took. That's, that's to say Jerusalem. Woe to you that are deep of heart to hide your counsel from the Lord, and all their works are in the dark, and they say, Who seeth us and who knoweth us? Woe to you, apostate children, saith the Lord, that ye would take counsel and not of me, and would begin a web and not of my spirit, that you might add sin upon sin, who walk to go down to Egypt, and have not asked at my mouth, hoping for help in the strength of Pharaoh, and trusting in the shadow of Egypt. And the strength of Pharaoh shall be your confusion, and the confidence of the shadow of Egypt your shame. For Egypt is man, and not God, and their horses flesh, and not spirit. And the Lord shall put down his hand, the helper shall fall, and he that is helped shall fall, and they all shall be confounded together. For thus saith the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, if you return and be quiet, you shall be saved. In silence and in hope shall your strength be. Ezekias, however, joined the league against Syria, and what Israel, uh, what Isaiah predicted became true. Sennacherib, the king of Asia, marched down the Mediterranean coast, driving the Egyptians and the Philistines before him and taking city after city. Then he turned inland and laid siege to Jerusalem. 
he demanded immediate and unconditional surrender. Within the city all was excitement and confusion. Isaiah, King Ezekias rends his garments in grief and despair. The people crowd the courts of the temple, falling over each other in their eagerness to propitiate God with their offerings. Then, again, Isaiah is the only man whose courage does not fail because his trust in God is unshaken. He is praying in the temple when the king sends for him and implores him to intercede with God for the holy city. The prophet replies, Thus saith the Lord concerning the king of the Assyrians, He shall not come into the city, nor shoot an arrow into it, nor come before it with shield, nor cast a trench about it. By the way that he came he shall return, and into this city he shall not come. His strength shall pass away with dread, and his princes fleeing shall be afraid. The Lord has said it, whose fire is Zion, and his furnace in Jerusalem. We know how quickly the word of the prophet was vindicated. One verse tells the story. And the angel of the Lord went down and slew in the camp of the Assyrians a hundred and eighty-five thousand. And they, the people, arose in the morning, and behold, they were all dead corpses. The afflictions which had come upon the people of Judah and Jerusalem were of their own making. By their wickedness, they had drawn down upon themselves the wrath of God. For nearly fifty years, Palestine had enjoyed peace. During his long and prosperous reign, King Azias had extended the territory of Judah, developed its resources, strengthened its frontiers, and created a powerful standing army. But beneath this outward show of prosperity lay rottenness. Commercial greed, extortion and graft, oppression of the poor, spendthrift luxury, drunkenness, glaring immorality. The worship of the temple was disgraced by excesses reminiscent of the worship of the heathen gods. Gifts were heaped upon altars and an elaborate ceremonial was devised, but the sacrifices that God demanded above all, purity of life, contrition for sin, honesty, justice, mercy and truth, were all disregarded. In his opening discourse, Isaiah relentlessly strikes at these vices of the people. He seeks to startle the nation into repentance and reform by predicting the doom that God is preparing for it if it perseveres in its wickedness. Hear, O ye heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have brought up children and exalted them, but they have despised me. The ox knows its owner, and the ass is master's crib. But Israel hath not known me, and my people have not understood. Woe to the sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a wicked seed, ungracious children. They have forsaken the Lord. They have blasphemed the Holy One of Israel. They are gone away backwards. For what shall I strike you any more, you that increase transgression? The whole head is sick, and the whole heart is sad. From the sole of the foot unto the top of the head, there is no soundness therein. Wounds and bruises and swelling sores. They are not bound up, nor dressed, nor fermented with oil. Your land is desolate, your cities are burned with fire. Your country strangers devour before your face. And it shall be desolate as when wasted by enemies. 
and the daughter of Zion is left as a covert in a vineyard, and as a lodge in a garden of cucumbers, and as a city that is laid waste. Except the Lord of hosts had left us seed, we had been a southern, and we should have been like to Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, ye rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the law of your God, ye people of Gomorrah. To what purpose do you offer me the multitude of your victims, saith the Lord? I am fool. I desire not holocausts of rams and fat of fatlings, and blood of calves and lambs and buck goats. When you come to appear before me, who require these things at your hands that you should walk in my courts? Offer sacrifice no more in vain. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons and the Sabbaths and other festivals I will not abide. Your assemblies are wicked. My soul hateth your new moons and your solemnities. They are become troublesome to me. I am weary of bearing them. And when you stretch forth your hands, I will turn away my eyes from you. And when you multiply prayer, I will not hear, for your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, be clean. Take away the evil of your devices from my eyes. Cease to do perversely. Learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge for the fatherless. Defend the widow. And uh, then come and accuse me, saith the Lord. If your sins be as scarlet, they shall be made as white as snow. And if they be red as crimson, they shall be white as wool. If you be willing and will hearken to me, you shall eat the good things of the land. And if you will not, and will provoke me to wrath, the sword shall devour you, because the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. When the armies of Israel and Syria invaded Judah, carrying dismay into the hearts of the people, Isaiah seized the opportunity to drive home once again his message of moral and religious reform. Woe to you that call evil good and good evil, that put darkness for light and light for darkness, that put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Woe to you that are wise in your own wise and prudent in your own conceits. Woe to you that are mighty to drink wine and stout men at drunkenness, that justify the wicked for gifts and take away the justice of the just from him. Therefore, as the tongue of the fire devoureth the stubble, and the heat of the flame consumeth it, so shall their root be as ashes, and their bud shall go up as dust. For they have cast away the Lord, the law of the Lord of hosts, and have blasphemed the word of the Holy One of Israel. The prophet's warnings and denunciations seem to have been in vain. In a well-known passage, he gives expression to his disappointment at the barrenness of his efforts. I will sing to my beloved the canticle of my cousin concerning his vineyard, the beloved being God and the cousin Christ. Oh, my beloved had a vineyard on a hill in a fruitful place, and he fenced it in and picked the stones out of it and planted it with the choicest vines and built a tower in the midst thereof and set up a winepress therein. And he looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it brought forth wild grapes. And now, O ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and ye men of Judah, judge between me and my vineyard. What is there that I ought to do more to my vineyard 
that I have not done to it? Was it that I looked that it should bring forth grapes, and it had brought forth wild grapes? And now I will show you what I will do to my vineyard. I will take away the hedge thereof, and it shall be wasted. I will break down the wall thereof, and it shall be trodden down. And I will make it desolate, and it shall not be pruned or digged. But briars and thorns shall come up, and I will command the clouds to rain no rain upon it. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the man of Judah his pleasant plant. And I looked that he should do judgment, and behold iniquity, and do justice, and behold a cry. Isaiah is not merely the prophet of doom, he is also, and perhaps even more, the prophet of hope and consolation. Many are the words of comfort that he spoke to the people in the dark hours of affliction. Thus when they complained, the Lord hath forsaken us, the Lord hath forgotten us, he replied in words whose tenderness must have pierced their hearts. Can a woman forget her infant, so as not to have pity on the son of her womb? And if she should forget, yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee in my hands. Thy walls are always before my eyes. He foretells the destruction of Jerusalem and the long captivity in Babylon, but also the day of deliverance and the restoration of the nation. The inexhaustible source of his faith and hope were the marvellous visions vouchsafed to him of the Messiah's and the glory of his kingdom. The Messiah's child is the bright light in the deep gloom that covers the land. The land of Zabulon and the land of Neptali was lightly touched, and at the last the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. Of the Galilee of the Gentiles was heavenly loaded. The people that walked in darkness have seen a great light. To them that dwelt in the region of the shadow of death, light is risen. For a child is born to us, and a son is given to us. And the government is upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, God the Mighty, the Father of the world to come, the Prince of Peace. His empire shall be multiplied, and there shall be no end of peace. He shall sit upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to establish it and strengthen it with justice and with justice from henceforth and forever. All the nations of the earth will share in the blessings of the messianic rule. In the days, in the last days, the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be prepared, on the top of the mountains, and it shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it, and many people shall go and say, Come, and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, and to the house of the God of Jacob. And he will teach us his ways, and we will walk in his paths, for the law shall come forth from Zion, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. And he shall judge the Gentiles, and rebuke many people. And they shall turn their swords into plowshares, and their spears into sickles. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they be exercised any more to war. The second part of the book of Isaiah, that's to say chapters 40 to 66, is devoted almost entirely to prophecies concerning the Messiah. We see him in his humiliation and in his exaltation. He is portrayed as the light of the nations, 
as the good shepherd and above all the servant of God who suffers for the sins of his people. Beautiful is the picture of the good shepherd. Under it could be written the words of Christ, Learn of me because I am meek and humble of heart. Behold my servant, I will uphold him. My elect, my soul delighteth in him. I have given my spirit upon him. He shall bring forth judgment to the Gentiles. He shall not cry, nor have respect to person. Neither shall his voice be heard abroad. The bruised reed he shall not break. The smoking flax he shall not quench. He shall bring forth judgment unto truth. He shall not be sad nor troublesome till he set judgment in the earth, and the islands shall wait for his law. The islands being the Gentile nations. The most wonderful and sublime of all the prophecies of Isaiah, the one which has obtained for him the title of Evangelist of the Old Testament, is the fourth of his songs of the servant of God. With striking accuracy of detail, he draws for us the sad picture of the man of sorrows. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? And he shall grow up as a tender plant before him, and as a root out of a thirsty ground. There is no beauty in him nor comeliness, and we have seen him, and there was no sightliness that we should be desirous of him. Despised and the most abject of men, a man of sorrows, and acquainted with infirmity. And his look was as it were hidden and despised, whereupon we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our iniquities and carried our sorrows, and we thought him as it were a leper, and as one struck by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our iniquities, he was bruised for our sins, the chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his bruises we are healed. All we, like sheep, are gone astray. Every one hath turned aside to his own way. And the Lord hath laid upon him the iniquity of us all. He was offered because it was his own will, and he opened not his mouth. He shall be as a sheep led to the slaughter, and shall be dumb as a lamb before his shearer. And he shall not open his mouth. He was taken away from distress and from judgment. Who shall declare his generation? because he is cut off out of the land of the living, for the wickedness of my people have I struck him. Chapter 53 Isaiah had prophesied that the inhabitants of Judah would be carried away to Babylon as captives. They have brought this severe chastisement upon themselves by their sins. But God will not forget his people. In their affliction they have turned to him and he is ready to lead them back to Zion. The prophet is commissioned to speak words of hope and comfort to them. Be comforted. Be comforted, my people, saith your God. Speak ye to the heart of Jerusalem and call to her, that her evil is come to an end, her iniquity is forgiven, and she hath received of the hand of the Lord double for all her sins. Since the Lord himself will lead his people out of captivity, a herald's voice is heard, bidding the people prepare the way for him. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the wilderness the paths of our God, 
Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough ways plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all fresh together shall see that the mouth of the Lord hath spoken. The prophet hears a second voice reminding him of the absolute trustworthiness of the divine promises as opposed to human fickleness. The exiles can therefore confidently trust in the word of the Lord in spite of their present wretchedness. The voice of one saying, Cry. And I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all glory thereof as the flower of the field. The grass is withered, and the flower is fallen, because the Spirit of the Lord hath blown upon it. Indeed, the people is grass. The grass is withered, and the flower is fallen, but the word of our Lord endureth for ever. When the return of the exiles is certain, the prophet is told to proclaim the good news to the wasted and desolate land of Judah. Get ye up unto the high mountain, thou that bringest good tidings to Zion. Lift up thy voice with strength, thou that bringest forth good tidings to Jerusalem. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your gods. Behold, the Lord God shall come with strength, and his arm shall rule. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. He shall feed his flock as a shepherd. He shall gather together the lambs with his arm. And he shall take them up in his bosom, and he himself shall carry them that are with young. As the deliverance of the Jews out of the Babylonian captivity, as a figure of the messianic deliverance from the bondage of sin, the evangelist rightly saw in the herald of Isaiah's prophecy a figure of the great precursor of Christ, St. John the Baptist. After 701 BC, we hear no more of Isaiah. His friend, King Ezekias, was succeeded in 693 by Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings of Judah. Scripture ascribes to this tyrant a violent persecution of the prophets of God. A man like Isaiah would naturally have been one of his first victims. Some think that he was amongst the prophets referred to by St. Paul, who were cut asunder in Hebrews 11. An outstanding characteristic of Isaiah's message occurs in his repeated and deceptively simple commands, Do not fear. By these words, the prophet condemned all efforts to defend the kingdom through alliances with enemies, to compromise faith in the Lord, and to rely on desperate political strategies rather than on God. This admonition recurs throughout his ministry in different circumstances and at very different times and places. In the oracle he gives to King Achaz, and the message God gives to Isaiah himself, in Isaiah's prophecy to Ezekiah and his addresses of comfort to the exiles. Isaiah's life and ministry carries the central message that all human activity motivated by fear of anything but God is contrary to faith and will almost certainly lead to, the, the, to destruction. This message 
which people find hard to believe in Isaiah's lifetime, became integral to the faith by which the Jews survived the exile in Babylon and endured many other historical catastrophes in the generations to come. We Christians and Catholics, finding in Isaiah the essential promises fulfilled in the Gospel, have often called him the Evangelist of the Old Testament.